Hello and welcome back to Basic Bible 102. I'm Margie Smith and today we will be covering the second part of the Kingdom of Heaven, Lesson 8. Alright, this is primarily going to be in Matthew 18, 20, and 25. So if you have not had a chance to read those passages, you might want to stop this recording and then go ahead and read that or listen to it on a Bible app. Uh, and I will be reading some of it, but I can't, probably won't read all of it. All right, so we're going to begin with, if you remember last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is describing can be the kingdom of heaven in, in heaven when after we die, and it can also be the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And you'll see that more in this these passages, because he's telling us how to live, how to bring about the kingdom of heaven. This is what it would look like. All right, in chapter 18, I'll start with verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. All right, you've probably heard that. Um, if your hand causes you to sin, if you're stealing, then you should just cut off your hand. And some people take this very literally. In fact, there is an entire um, theory of, um, I guess, nations that practice this in, in reality. Uh, I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. What he's trying to say is, stop, don't let sin come through you because it will greatly damage your hope of being being able to go to heaven. Um, that And if you cause someone else to sin, that's even worse. So, and yet he says sin will, it is in this world. It, it, you know, it's unfortunate, but it is. That is the result of the fall of Adam and Eve. Children in Jesus' time had no rights. They were basically property. And uh, Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to pretty much give up everything, give up um, your um, rights, then then you won't be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. Uh, much of what Jesus taught was countercultural. And so people are hearing this and they're saying, what? I've got to become like a little child. You know, that's the beginning of the be born again. You know, all the way back to birth, you you have to become a new person, and you have to be very um, willing to learn all over again, a whole new way. And that's what Jesus was trying to get at. He also does a good job of explaining the kingdom of heaven being um, you have the least the least in heaven versus the most. Because if you remember, it started with 
the disciples asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Several of these parables we'll look at after this answer that very same question. They just answer it in a way that the disciples did not expect. In your homework assignment, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, it takes off from here and it describes what Jesus is saying about forgiveness. And I think it's very important. I'll, I'll cover just the highlights, but I think it, it would be very good for discussions. And he's saying here, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10 talents, 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold and repaid to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, uh, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged you, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does this sound familiar? But the, but he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay that debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, You wicked servant, I canceled all your debt, the debt of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Right, this is a hard saying because one of the hardest things we do in this life is uh, suffer from uh, injustice and um, wrongs done to us. And in that process, it can make us very angry and very bitter. But Jesus is telling us, forgive. Forgive your enemies forgive your those who owe you uh, even if they don't ask for forgiveness forgive them and because of that you are released and seen as um, worthy because here's the deal we have been greatly forgiven our sins were greatly forgiven when Jesus died on the cross and if we're going to reflect that to the world we need to be just as forgiving and I know that's a hard saying. And if you think right now, you could probably think of at least one or two people who you need to forgive. And so, and one of the things about taking communion, when we take communion, which we'll talk about later, um, we are basically agreeing that we have no hard, no uh, hard feelings towards any of our brothers or sisters. And so, that Jesus made it so important that he brought it up again. Um, if you already did the homework, great. I will let you go through the rest of the questions. The answers are online. Um, or if you were in a study group or discussion group, then that this would be a good time for you to stop the tape and then go through that with them. Uh, but for our purposes, we're going to continue on now and move over to Matthew 20. And here is a very difficult saying as well. You know, the more you study the parables of Christ, the more you realize 
these are just really hard um, things to accept. They're countercultural. They're against our nature. So in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, and I will read this one. For the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. I don't know how much a denarius is, but whatever it is or whatever it was back then, it meant, it meant a, a unit of money, so a day's wages. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he said, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Then it began about the sixth hour, and then in the ninth hour. And he still found people willing. Okay, I'm going to stop reading there. He still found people milling around, but willing to work for him. And so he said, okay, come work for me. Then he went out at the very end of the day. It says the 11th hour. And he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day? Doing nothing, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Then when the evening came, the, owners of the, vine the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. But the landowner said, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Did you didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Once again we see this the last first and the first last. And at why this is controversial or hard to take, hard to assimilate, is we have a tendency to think about fairness. But you will find that God's idea of fairness is not the same as our idea of fairness. If it were, we would never have let anyone into the kingdom of heaven. But God is merciful, and he's merciful to the least. So someone who has done a lot of sin, who has been a murderer, who has been a child molester, who has been as evil as you can think of, God is going to welcome them into heaven if they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and ask forgiveness. It's hard for those who think, well, I've been good all my life. How is this fair? Well, as I said, fairness is not the issue. Justice is the issue. And because we were bought with the price. We were forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. Our sin was wiped away the same as theirs. So it doesn't matter who is the greater sinner. And when Jesus is saying the last will be first and the first will be last, he's reminding us that we can't weigh what someone's worth in the kingdom of heaven by how good they are. And we shouldn't. So, um, as I mentioned, this is kind of a hard saying because if you have been, even in Christian circles, if God called you to be a missionary and you went and suffered greatly as a missionary and, and sweated and worked and had to live in some of the worst jungles and suffered malaria and just lived a very hard life and you died and went to heaven, and God would welcome you and say, well done, good servant and faithful servant. And someone else 
just pretty much was did what God asked them to, but God didn't ask a whole lot. So they, they maybe they got rich, they lived the high life. Maybe their influence was in a totally different way. And yet God will welcome him the same. And so we have a tendency to say, well, that doesn't seem fair. And that's why I'm telling you, get out of your mind fairness, because it won't serve you before you become a Christian, and it doesn't serve you after you become a Christian. Everything we do should be done because we love the Lord, and we have been forgiven, and we want to forgive, and we want to live out the principles of His Word. And that doesn't mean comparing ourselves with others and thinking that we have more of a right, because really, we don't have any right. In Ecclesiastics 7.20, it says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. So you could never be good enough, and you will never be good enough to be worthy of heaven. All right, this next passage is a particularly difficult one, too. And sometimes I read these and I think, I just don't know for sure what that means. And I have to go back and do like I've asked you to do. And pray and say, God, just reveal to me, what does this mean to me today? So I'm going to take it from that perspective of what it means to me today. But honestly, you may hear many sermons on the same passage and get a completely different take on it. So turn over to Matthew 25, and we're going to be just looking at the first part of it. And what's happening here, and I probably won't read this one, is that um, some bridesmaids are preparing for a wedding. And back then, what would happen is the bridesmaids would come and and stay waiting for the groom to come, and they would uh, sit with the bride, and they would uh, sometimes have to wait kind of a while. So they brought their lamps, and because it might go into the evening. Okay, in this case, there are ten bridesmaids, and five of them bring plenty of oil and a little bit of extra, and they're prepared. Five of them do not. They have what they consider probably enough oil in their little oil lamps. And so at the evening drags on and everyone's tired. And so the bridegroom is delayed. And sure enough, the ones who didn't bring enough oil are out of it. And here comes the bridegroom. They all say, he's coming. And they have to say, well, we have to run, go get some more oil, but we'll be right back. Well, in the meantime, the bridegroom gets there. He invites the the bridesmaids who have been uh, who are prepared, and they all go into the great big banquet where they are going to celebrate the wedding. But the ones who come later, the bridesmaids who were not prepared, come and start knocking on the door and say, "Wait, let us in, let us in." And the bridegroom says, "Wait, I don't know who you are. I'm not letting you in." Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. All right, this is a passage, in, from my understanding, where Jesus is going to return to the earth, and he is going to come and call his own. And when he does, some of us will be ready for his return, and we will be anxious and delighted that he's there, and some of us will not. You can also look at it as some of us who have believed in Jesus Christ and, and accepted the um that he, our sins have been forgiven, will are ready for death at any time. And since we don't know when death will come, it could come at any time. And when it does, those who are ready will be welcomed into heaven. But those who are not, those who kept putting it off and saying, yeah, I'll make a decision about that down the line some other day, 
who procrastinated may, will run out of time and their day will come and they will not be let into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, after this, there is another parable that runs right into it, and he's talking about a parable of the talents. Once again, this is a rather difficult one to grasp. What's happening here, and I won't read this one either, it says it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another he gave two, and to the third he gave just one talent. So each of them, you know, he basically said, uh, go off and invest it and make the most of my money. And so after a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle his account with them. And so he calls them up to him. And the first one who received five talents says, master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained you two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. When the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he replied, I knew you to be a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money at least in the bank so that I would get interest. Take the talent from him and give it to one of the others, who is, to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And, thrown that, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so you can see why this is just a particularly difficult passage, because we're learning about... And we'll, we'll look at this again when we cover money. But in this particular instance, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying here, because that's been our, our theme for this, this part right here. What he's saying is that the ta- someone who was given five talents doubled it and made ten. So it could very well be that someone who is very blessed was able to turn around and create even more blessing. Um, I'm not sure what what the true uh, purpose of the passage is, but it's to show us that, once again, it's not a matter of fairness. And second of all, God is uh, the one who's going to finally judge. And his judgment is what counts. So if he gives you certain talents, certain gifts, certain... You know, you were born into a pretty nice life. Anybody that was born in America could probably say that, or some of the richer countries in the world. But if you're born into a poor country and you still accepted God, you know, accepted Christ into your heart and shared that gospel with those around you, even though you didn't have much opportunity, then the Lord will still say, good good job, good job. But let's say you're somebody who just grew up in the ghetto and just lived a life of crime and God blesses you with something, but instead of taking it, uh, taking that and 
and using it to glorify God, you basically just hit it and says, ah, I don't really care about my faith or I don't really care that, that God loves me. I'm, that's just not something I'm going to worry about. So that when the time comes and you will be judged, the Lord's going to say, why didn't, I know that life was hard for you. Why didn't you take it, what I had given you and at least make something with that? If nothing else, as he's saying, put it in the bank with interest. But uh, because that person didn't, because they basically buried their opportunities, their faith, whatever it is that that talent represents, then it, it won't matter. God will judge accordingly and say, no, I, that, I, ha- I want nothing to do with you. So heaven, the first or last, the last or first, those who have will be given more. Those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. Do you see how these thoughts and these um, principles are particularly difficult for people in, in the 21st century, century? Because we think in terms of fairness and we think in terms of gaining more, being the first, being the best at what we do. And we don't give much credence to those who are who are the last, you know, who the last guy that comes in from the marathon. Um, in the same way, those who are given a lot can do a lot with it. And those who, who aren't can make all kinds of excuses. And then... Um, we, we would look at it and say, well, they didn't have much. You know, you couldn't expect a lot. But obviously, God expects a lot. Okay, one more parable that is, again, kind of difficult to take. Um, Matthew 25, verse 31. It reads, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in the heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since you, you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. When the, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? When did we not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous went to eternal life. So God is presenting a very interesting um, principle. And it's something that many of us kind of understand. 
We need to help the, the less fortunate. We need to reach out and take care of people who need our care. Because if we don't, it's like we're not doing that for Jesus. And on the flip side, if we do care for the poor, if we do take in the, uh, the sick and, the, um, and visit those in prison and clothe those who need clothing, when we're generous and kind to people who cannot pay us back, who are uh, just not in a place where they can pay you for what you do, they can only receive and when we give to those kind of people, to people who need it, and they, they just can't do anything else about it, then God is saying, I see you, because when you're doing that, it's as if you were doing that for me. When you help out the least, you are helping out me. So that's another strong statement about the kingdom of heaven. And the thing is, that's not natural to us. We want to help those who can pay us back, or we want to bless those who are really already blessed and they're just part of our circle. And instead, we have to step out of our circle. Um, if we want to be like Christ, it means seeing people where they are and meeting their needs where they are. All right, so that's a pretty much our lessons for today on the kingdom of heaven. And you see that it is quite different than perhaps what you thought the kingdom of heaven would be like here on earth and in order to get into heaven, to be that kind of a person, to take on the qualities of Christ. All right, so in conclusion, we stipulated that Jesus wants us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Uh, Even though we deserve eternal punishment for our failure, our generous God does not give us what we deserve, but rather showed his mercy by sending his son Jesus to die for our sins. We are given opportunities to serve God with whatever we have, What we do with that opportunity determines how God will bless us. And if we really want to serve God, we will serve the poor, those who cannot return the favor. By doing so, we are really serving Christ. All right, we covered a lot today. I know some of these are going to take some time to ponder and think about and say, well, I just don't know if I could accept that. You know, you are free and welcome, and I encourage you to go through Scripture and pull together your way of thinking about these different truths, because everybody will see these things a little bit differently. But this is what the Bible says, and that is what Basic Bible 102 is all about. Here's what the Bible says. I didn't write it. It's This is how Jesus intended it to come to us. And so it is up to us to either believe it and follow it or to reject it. And if we reject it, we're going to be like those goats that are just going to get thrown into the lake of fire. All right, tough sayings, but um, that's where we are. So next for next week, we're going to talk about why all that God has done for us, why it was undeserved, that no matter what we do, we just don't deserve God's goodness. We're talking about unmerited grace next week. And for next week, you will want to be reading in Luke 7, 13, 15, and 16. Today's lesson was all in Matthew, but the same passages are also seen in Mark and in Luke, depending on which one we were reading. So you can go back and look at those passages again in those other books because they're very similar. The story may change just a bit, but it's pretty much the same story. All right, thank you so much for sticking with Basic Bible and for being faithful on your homework. I want to encourage you to keep on. It will get easier because you'll get more in the habit of it. And as I mentioned, the passages won't be quite so many to have to read. 
All right. In the meantime, be blessed. Mm -hmm.